as people, we have the power to change or affect the lives of other people. And that's a big deal, right? Like that is an extraordinary responsibility. And then the other piece of that is that all of us have influence. It's just a matter of, are we using our influence for good or for bad? And are we intentional with how we're using our influence? Well, hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. I'm really excited for today's conversation. I am here with my co-host, David Bloom. Hey, Alan. I'm really excited for today's episode. David had an amazing conversation with Jenny Katrin on the idea of clout. And at Stay Forth Designs, we talk about it as the idea of genius, that you're uniquely wired for impact. So this is a great episode, really excited for how David digs into self-awareness and some leadership topics that maybe we don't hit all the time as leaders and and maybe kind of sneak up on us a little bit. It was great to have Jenny on the podcast because she's like a kindred ministry spirit when it comes to what we do at Stay Forth. She wants to see leaders get healthy. And one of the ways that she does it is through this framework and principles that she has in this book called Clout, which is unleashing your God-given influence. And she talks about stewarding your influence, where we need to figure out who we are, what we're wired for, and what we're called to, and then live into that. So enjoy my conversation with Jenny Katrin. Well, we are so excited to have Jenny on the podcast to talk to us about um, her book, Clout, among other things. And she is just speaking so much life into these, these topics on health and leadership. So thank you so much, Jenny, for joining us on the podcast. So glad to be here. Thank you. I love, I love others who engage the conversation of what does it look like to be a healthy leader? And so love the work that you guys are doing and excited for the conversation today. Thank you. You've added so much to this conversation, and that's why we wanted to have you on. I actually went through your book, Clout, with some pastoral staff at a church in Colorado Springs, and your book had such an influence on us that we wanted to have you on. But first question is just tell us a little bit about your story, um, how you got into leadership, where you've been, and, and where you are right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the leadership journey is always a, you know, a long one in many sorts. But I, you know, I was one of those kids who always stepped into roles of leadership, although I would have not been able to define them as such. I don't really know that I had a early context for what leadership was. But the real like pivotal moments for me in just the identification of, oh, I think I think God has wired me and gifted me to lead. And I think there's this thing I need to pay attention to about what it means to lead well happened in some of my early years in actually I was in the corporate world. I worked for a record company in Nashville before I went into ministry. And I just had some horrible, like early leadership moments. And one of my bosses and mentors pulled me aside and he said, Jenny, if you want to learn how to um, lead people, you're going to have to learn how to love them and lead them well. And what I realized was I was just using people as kind of cogs in the grand machine to accomplish my goals. And one of those early mentors really helped reframe leadership as really it's all about others. It's about loving and serving others well and uh, calling out the best in other people. And so those were pretty critical. There were some pretty critical moments, you know, kind of in my early 20s where I started to get a healthier definition of what leadership was and recognizing that we all have influence and therefore we all have the potential to be great leaders. But how we steward that influence really impacts the trajectory of our leadership, you know, and all of us have had great leaders in our lives, and we've had some really poor leaders in our lives. 
And I think I defined pretty early on that I really wanted to do this well. I wanted to leave a wake of people who were proud that they got to work with Jenny Catron rather than a bunch of people who were like, oh my gosh, you know, that was awful, you know? And <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I worked in the music business and I had the privilege of leading some great teams to do the marketing and brand development for some great Christian artists. And then the church that I was a part of just as a volunteer recruited me to be the executive director and it was a pretty fast growing church in Nashville. And I, I uh, just felt a prompting that God was kind of leading me to take that role. And that was a whole nother leadership journey because ministry has a whole set of, you know, uniquenesses, especially in relationship to how do you lead volunteers well. And, um, and so I jumped into that wholeheartedly and was uh, worked at two different churches in an executive pastor type capacity. Uh, and then launched uh, an organization a little over two years ago, the Foresight Group, dedicated to really investing in leaders and teams in the culture and the strategy of how do how do, uh, we make sure we're creating healthy and thriving leaders and teams, and yet also live out this purpose and have a strategy for accomplishing the very vision that God has put on our hearts. And I kind of believe those two things can coexist, not easily. But I think they can, and that's what I spend my days doing is working with um, churches, nonprofits, some businesses, primarily leaders of faith who are who are committed to how do we lead well and accomplish the things that we feel like God has called us to do. Awesome, awesome. the The phrase that that stuck out to me is stewarding your influence. Is that um, leaders? Uh, yeah, it's not just getting people to do what you want them to do as cogs in a machine, but it's it's stewarding that influence in relationship. And I love that. And that's what brings us to um, this this topic that you unpack in clout, which is that that idea of of influence and healthy leadership and some unhealthy perspectives and practices that sabotage our leadership and influence. And so, can you unpack and define what clout is for us? Yeah, yeah. You know uh, that early conversation that I referenced of that understanding of what leadership really looks like helped frame up this idea that leadership is influence. And John Maxwell is famous for saying that leadership is influencing, is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And I actually kind of pushed back on his definition a little bit and thought, you know what, I think leadership is influence, but how we steward that influence really determines the trajectory, like I said earlier. And as I began to look at this idea of influence, the definition of influence, which I'm kind of a geek, so I always go to the definition first whenever I'm studying something, but it struck me because the Webster's definition of influence is the power to change or affect someone. And like the first time I heard that definition, I just kind of like got this pit in my stomach of like, as people, we have the power to change or affect the lives of other people. And that's a big deal right? Like yeah. that is an extraordinary responsibility. And then the other piece of that is that all of us have influence. It's just a matter of, are we using our influence for good or for bad? And are we intentional with how we're using our influence? So clout was just a fancy way of saying influence of like, you know, and, and you know, when we released the book a few years ago, uh, that word was kind of thrown out a lot more in social, you know, like social media circles and things. And we said, you know what, you have clout, you have influence, you have the power to change or affect the lives of people around you. And so let's use that for good. So that was a really long like definition of the word. No, cloud, no, that's but, great. And at its essence, it's this understanding of influence and stewarding it well. Yeah, awesome. And I think that that makes a distinction in leadership, right? And I think most of us want to be 
proficient and effective leaders. We want to be good at our roles, whether we're in management or whatever kind of leadership position we're in. But why is it so important to tap into our God-given clout over just being proficient or effective as a leader? Yeah, I think, you know, I think part of the reasoning for that is I, I, be, I believe deeply that God has uniquely gifted each one of us, right? That he has given you like a set of gifts and experiences and talents that are really unique to you. And and the Bible tells us this, you know, the Bible talks so much about the uniqueness and the distinctiveness of all of us and that we have gifts that God has given us, that he has, you know, he, he knew us in our mother's womb, right? Like, like we are known and understood, you know, from before we even were a thought, right? Like God knows us and understands us. And he has, you know, he has unique designs for each of us, but we spend most of our time trying to conform. Like from the time we're like little, we are trying to compare and compete and, and conform to everything around us, you know? And when in fact, I think we're actually supposed to draw out this unique essence of who God has designed us to be. How has he gifted you? How has he wired you? How how have your experiences shaped you for good and for bad? Because they all have contributed to who you are. And that whole collection of who God has made you to be gives you unique influence. It gives you unique clout to influence the world in a way that no one else can. And I think that if we got that, we would be much less concerned about the comparison to everyone else around us. And we would recognize, you know what, there is something that God has uniquely called me and gifted me to do. And, um, and, and my skills and my abilities are, are just another piece of that whole puzzle, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I think there's so much freedom that comes from that when you realize this is who I am. This is how I'm I'm wired to be. And so I can actually live into that and steward the gifts that I've been given rather than trying to be someone that I'm not. And man, there's so much, so much freedom that comes from that. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I hate that we miss that first, you know, I feel like, like the years I could have gotten back if I had recognized sooner that the very things that make me unique um, are the things that can help me distinctively use my influence for good rather than trying to measure up to everybody else around me. And, you know, I just, I wish I could reclaim some of those years personally. Um, so what motivated you to go on this journey of writing cloud about writing leadership and influence? Part of it was, I mean, it was very much my own journey. As I began to do this exploration of, you know, getting some idea of, okay, there's, there's, these unique gifts, these talents, these experiences, these things that God has used to shape me. But there also are a lot of things holding me back and tripping me up. And I just started to get, frankly, really frustrated with, you know, things like insecurity and fear and doubt. And it seemed the more opportunities I had, the more those things were showing up, you know, with a lot more force. So I went through my, you know, just kind of that own, my own personal journey of going, why, why are these things getting in the way? What is this all about? And what I discovered was that as I would talk to other leaders, there were these repeated themes that, you know, that every one of us was navigating things like fear or insecurity, some of us pride, others control, but, you know, there's all these things that were consistently showing up with leaders. And it seemed the more influence and the more leadership we had, the more kind of plagued we were by what I call the clout killers, the things that, you know, kind of just you know, they're, they're there trying to sabotage the very influence God has designed us for. So that was my personal journey of just trying to understand it for myself. But what I began to realize is that it, the themes were pretty common and that 
all the leaders that I was working with were really eager to say, you know what, we've got to bring this more to the surface. I think a lot of times as leaders, if we're wrestling with a fear or an insecurity, I'm using those two because they're some of the most prominent for me, that I feel like I've got to go deal with them by myself. I've got to go clean that up, fix it, make it right, and come out confident, strong, moving forward. And there's just way too many of us that we're recognizing, you know what? I think I think we ought to actually bring these to the light, right? We ought to actually like bring this out, talk about it. So it was really to answer your question a little bit more directly, it was it was really just a personal journey that I was on that I found was really helpful to a lot of other leaders. So it kind of made its way to a book. Awesome. Yeah. And these what you touched on, these cloud killers are things that we can all relate with, right? Insecurity and fear, things that cripple us. And so as you've been meeting with leaders and coaching and consulting and pouring into leaders, what are some that are the most prevalent in today's leaders? Mm, yeah. And I think the, uh, the other piece of it is I think some of them vary from season to season. You know, I think some seasons, you know, one or one or others will be uh, more of a challenge. The underlying one that really I see constantly is a, some kind of fear. And in fact, in the book, I talk about how I actually think fear is like the, the almost the precursor to the rest of them. You know, and again, I'm hitting on in the book, I hit on about seven different what I call clout killers. There are other things that trip a, a lot of us up. But these were the ones I found to be most common. But I really did see fear as like an underlying you know, an underlying thing for most leaders, that there was some fear, fear that I'm not enough, fear that I don't measure up, fear that I'm not good enough, you know, and so there, for most of us, there's some kind of fear that if I really am honest about it, is the thing that either compels me and drives me to overachieve for some of us, or causes me to just kind of be paralyzed and to quit or to not try things or to not even really fully recognize the influence that I have on somebody. And so, you know, as I, as I look at most leaders, I see some kind of underlying fear that really kind of triggers some of the other clout killers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I can relate with that as well. I think we can all relate with things that kill our clout, fear and anxiety and those dog us day in and day out. But what are the ways that we can cultivate it or recover our clout in our leadership? Yeah. And I think, you know, the first one is just the awareness and the acknowledgement of it. I'm a big believer in the importance of self-leadership and self-leadership comes from, you know, better self-awareness. So, you know, again, I think, and, and a lot of this is me speaking from my personal experience and then it, you know, it just the stories and the leaders that I've been connected with have kind of added to it. But I think what I see often in my own life is that I I will be wrestling with something, but I'm afraid to like, I'm afraid to like bring it out or I'm afraid to talk about it. And, um, the more that I'm willing to engage it, the more that I'm willing to, um, bring awareness to it, the more that I'm willing to learn about it myself, that actually the less hold and the less power it has. I have a tendency of, I'm just going to barrel through things. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to stay busy. I'm going to just make things happen. And, but I'm not really paying attention to what's going on with me or how I'm feeling or what, you know, what I'm afraid of. And the more that I'm willing to do that, the healthier I become, you know, the greater self-awareness I have, the more that I'm willing to acknowledge it, the more I'm willing to place it before God and say, okay, you know, here's this fear that I am, that I'm, I'm, I'm actually even trying to avoid, but would you redeem this? Would you remind me of what's true? And that's the big thing, I think, for any of these things. When we recognize whether it's fear or it's uh, comparison is another biggie for a lot of us, 
if it's scarcity, if it's insecurity, if it's pride, whatever that thing is that kind of tends to trip you up. And all of us are, you know, are triggered by different things, depending on our personality and so forth. But the more that I'm able to acknowledge it and place it before God and say, God, would you remind me what's true? Because oftentimes the enemy has kind of filled me with some lie that I'm starting to spiral out and believe. And, you know, so if there's some like fear, you know, fear of failure, that's common for a lot of us, right? So if I am afraid of failure and I start just spinning out on that, if I can, you know, pause and get some perspective and say, okay, God, would you help me know what's true about this? What do I need to understand about myself? What do I need to know to help me catch this and identify it sooner? Who do I need to have around me to help speak truth in my life? And, uh, you know, so there's some things like that, that I do now that, uh, in my healthiest days, let's also clarify that, right. Um, that, uh, help me from like, just kind of spiraling out in whatever this, you know, whatever that it is that's tripping me up. Yeah. Oh, that's so huge. Especially reminding yourself of, of who you are and what's true. I mean, I have the spiritual memory of a goldfish and so I need to preach the gospel to myself daily. I mean, just this reminder of what my identity is rooted in and it's not rooted in my accomplishments or being as good or have as big as a platform as, as that person or, or whatever it is I have to remind myself. So that's so, so, so huge. Yeah. And I think that's the self-awareness piece too, of recognizing, okay, here's the thing that repeatedly trips me up. You know, this fear, this insecurity, whatever it might be, this is the thing that trips me up. And to your point, like I, I, like I have to memorize the scriptures that speak truth back to that. I have to put them on my mirror in my bathroom in the morning so that I'm reading them before I go into the day. I, you know, and, and I think we, those practices are really important. And that goes again to that piece of self-awareness, know the things that trip you up, know the places where the enemy likes to like, you know, wreak some havoc and hold you back from stewarding your influence. Well, and and know how to combat that. So, you know, knowing that, okay, when I start, start spiraling out on something, I've got to, I've got to pause and I'm a, I do best when I journal my prayers. So this is just one of my practices is that when I feel myself starting to go down that train of, you know, the fear or the insecurity, I'm going to do everything I can to pull up my little prayer journal and start praying and asking God to give me clarity, to give me sound mind, you know, repeat those scriptures that help me speak truth back to it. And I have to stop. That's how I stop the churn for me is actually like slowing down and writing out those prayers. That's what works for me. But again, I think for everybody, it's again, knowing what's that thing where you're most easily hindered from doing the thing that you feel like God has called you to do. And then how can you put yourself back in a posture where God can speak truth um, to help you, uh, you know, kind of reframe it in a healthy way? Oh, that's so good. And thank you for sharing something practical, because I think one, we all struggle with this losing our identity and having, you know, hundreds of different voices telling us something that's not true about ourselves. And so you saying journaling that out is what helps root you and ground you back into the truth is huge. And so what are some ways that you've seen um, both in your life, but maybe in other leaders, maybe some practical habits that leaders can dig into to root themselves in that truth or to try to develop a greater sense of self-awareness. Yeah. I mean, I, so that's, that's one for me. I know that part of my deal is I can be a super anxious person. And so anything that actually slows my pace is really good for me. So again, that's, that's me knowing and understanding me. 
Uh, I have a friend who, you know, she gets up every morning and reads like two or three key scriptures. And now pretty much they're memorized. It's less reading. It's, it's more memory. But the two or three key scriptures that do speak truth into her life. And that's how she starts her day, you know? And so, I mean, I mean, she is, she is religious about that. Like she just goes to those scriptures. Um, uh, other friends who, you know, solitude or quiet and they know, you know, where do, where do they find that time and that space and they're intentional to create it. And so those are, those are a couple, David, that come to mind right off the top. But I think again, for everybody, it's kind of knowing what environments actually help you hear God and also just help you kind of reframe your perspective. And usually it's like changing your pace in some way. You know, if you, I, I know that if I'm not in a good, healthy space, I've got to actually change where I am physically, you know, so either I go, I go out for a walk or I go to another room or I go find a friend or whatever that might be. And so, yeah, just knowing, knowing what that is for you, I think is really important. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, especially when you talk about changing pace or changing the scenery or changing, you know, even maybe where you're working, because usually when we're stressed out and overwhelmed and bogged down, it's not more of the same that's going to get us out of it. It's it's changing um, perspective. It's changing place. It's changing a rhythm or a habit. And so that's so good. So one of the things that you also do is you coach and consult. And that's one of the things we also do at Stay Fort Designs. And um, how has cloud and this framework for influence and really leadership health, how has that impacted or shaped the way that you coach and consult? Yeah, I, it, it's really kind of foundational when I'm working with leaders. If I'm doing coaching, whether it's one-on-one or in a group setting, we use a lot of the principles from clout to help kind of establish. I think that we have to lead ourselves well to lead others better. So as leaders, we've got to recognize the most important person for you to lead and the hardest person for you to lead is yourself. And when I'm working with leaders, we dig first into leading ourselves well. And that usually starts with some self-awareness. You know, we're using different personality tools and assessments to help us kind of dig for some, you know, some, some of those things. I do use the clout book because we do walk through kind of a process of identity and purpose and so forth, just to kind of, you know, help people get a little clarity on that because we, we, we lose direction over time, right? We, again, the comparison thing and, watching what other people are doing or other people's expectations of us start to cloud this sense of purpose that, you know, that we might have had, or maybe, maybe have never done the work to clarify. And so I find that when I'm working with leaders, the more that I can help them just with the self-leadership piece of good self-awareness, and then an understanding of how has God gifted me, wired me, equipped me, what is my clout? What does my influence look like? And then, you know, who are my people? Who has he called me to serve? And what is the passion or purpose that I have deep in my heart? You know, so for me, I feel deeply called to serve leaders for the purpose of helping them be healthy and thriving and to lead others well, you know, but uh, every person has a sense of people that they're called to and a passion for the work that they're doing. I have some friends who run a uh, foster care organization, and so they are deeply passionate about foster kids and helping them find long-term homes, right? And so it's like the foster kids are their their people and their passion is helping find them long-term families for them to be a part of, you know? And so helping people get that sense of clarity because it's not it's not self-awareness and it's not self-leadership just for us to be all about ourselves. That's the danger, right? 
we've got to do that healthy work of understanding ourselves to lead ourselves well so that we can do the very thing that God has actually called us to do. So in all of my work, that's pretty foundational with the leaders that I serve is at least doing some some level of work around self-awareness and self-leadership. And then, you know, it depends on how much work that leader has done, how long we stay there or how we move into into other things. Oh, that's so good. And because we want to influence others, right? We all have this God-given influence and we want to reproduce our leadership into others. But if it's not healthy to begin with, then our influence isn't going to be healthy and we're going to be reproducing unhealthy leadership into others. So I love that you're um, working with leaders to to help them lead themselves and take care of their own souls and have some self-awareness. And that's so, so good. So you've made the the jump from a second chair role to leading the foresight group. What has surprised you about that transition? That's such a good question. And, uh, you know, and also, by the way, everything we're learning as leaders, I feel like is, is, I don't know if cyclical is right, but, but we at least find ourselves revisiting it, you know, in different stages and different seasons. So, you know, when I moved from a second chair seat to being the, the founding leader of an organization, I, um, you know, had to go back and do a lot more like self-leadership because things like fear and insecurity came, you know, screaming back to the surface, you know, things that I thought, oh, I've, you know, done a lot of work. I've gotten healthier around that. I'm not quite as fearful. I'm not quite as insecure, you know, and, uh, and then you put yourself in a new role with new responsibilities and you realize, oh, okay, some of those same clout killers kind of, you know, rear their ugly heads and you realize, okay, here's another here's another season of growth and formation around these things. And so, you know, for me, real practically, moving from a second chair to a first chair, the responsibility of now I'm the visionary. And, you know, whereas it's funny in the second chair seat, one of the things I loved to do was to come alongside a great visionary leader and be able to help put feet to that vision, you know, that I could, I could, you know, align myself with a great senior leader and I could help accomplish that vision. And there were times where I thought, you know, in my pride or arrogance, I often thought, you know, I, I, I've got some big ideas too. I've got some, you know, like, you know, big vision ideas, but by and large, I was carrying out somebody else's vision. Now as the first chair, nobody else is telling you what to do, right? I mean, there's a ton of people who have opinions about what you do, but when you're in that first chair, your responsibility to really seek out the vision and the direction for what you feel like God is calling your organization to, and then being able to hold that vision with a sense of clarity and conviction and, you know, recruit other people to come alongside you, you realize the weight that it is. You just realize, oh, wow, it's not like just some big idea that sounded really good. It's like, no, there's a responsibility because I'm calling a bunch of people to come along and do this with me. And, uh, and so just feeling that kind of the, the burden of stewarding the vision well, I think I feel differently now as a first chair. That's probably the biggest thing that has stood out. The other piece that has stood out to me is the, the confidence in decision making. So it kind of goes hand in hand. But a lot of times, you know, you, I, you know, when you're in a second chair, you at least have a first chair to kind of go, okay, is this a good decision? Is this a bad decision? You know, and, and or to kind of work decisions out together. But now as the first chair, you know, there are, there are probably, you know, right now we're finalizing our strategic plan for next year. And there's a, there's a zillion ideas on the table, but at the end of the day, I've got to, I've got to fight for focus and clarity for us as an organization. And I can't do all 20 ideas. I'm going to have to pick the best two. And, 
nobody else, everybody else can speak into that. But at the end of the day, the buck stops here and I've got to be the one to make that call and then lead us forward with confidence. So there's just a little bit different weight that's there. And with that, like I said, you know, the fears or the insecurities or the sense of I want to take control and, you know, like squeeze the life out of it by manipulating everything, you know, kind of show up. And so I have to go back to some of my self-leadership skills and my self-awareness skills and go, okay, here's what's happening. I'm fearful of failing. And so I'm overly controlling or micromanaging or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever those things are and, and recognizing that in myself and growing through it again. Oh yeah. There's, there's so much there, but that idea that you never graduate from self-leadership. You really don't. Yeah. Yeah. And so every new season brings new insecurities, new fears, new challenges that you need to circle back around to. And um, I love that. And so to close up, what we like to ask is because we, we want to see leaders lead for the long haul. We want to see leaders get healthy, um, to have impact and not lose their souls and their families and relationships along the way. So with that said, what piece of advice or paradigm shift that you've had or a habit or a tool would you want to share with leaders that that's going to help them lead for the long haul? Mm, that's such a great question. And I probably could have a zillion things, but I think I would come back to what a lot of what we've talked about is the, the self-awareness piece of doing the hard work to understand yourself and lead yourself well. And, and here's, here's the issue is that for those of us who have a real desire to lead or a gifting to lead, a passion to lead, we chase after the big goals, the dreams, climbing the ladder, you know, the promotion, whatever, whatever it is. Like we set our sights on something and we're like, we want to accomplish that and we want to do this thing. But oftentimes in the pursuit of that, we miss some of the foundational pieces that we could put in that it will actually undergird and support that growth. So what I find is I find that we have a lot of anemic leaders trying to lead really large things because we haven't been patient with the process of self-leadership and spiritual formation. That there is that, you know, the the wisdom, wisdom comes from time and experience. And a lot of times we want to microwave that and go racing for and chasing the opportunities. And we need the time and experience that actually leads to wisdom that allows us to lead those things at that level. And so I would say the, the self-awareness, the, the do the hard work of learning who you are. I know a lot of people can be like, ah, oh, another personality assessment or this or that. And I get, I get it. And yet find something that is, that helps you understand yourself a bit better, be in community with people who will actually like, you know, be willing to say hard things to you. But there, you know, there are just some things that we need to do. There's a posture we need to have as leaders that puts us in a place of recognizing that we, that there's a humility we need to, to have a posture of growth in that we will never fully arrive. We will always be putting building blocks in creating this foundation that helps us shoulder the responsibility of leadership. And so I think that's the awareness I would love leaders to have is that if you want to lead others, if you want to lead big things, you have got to lead yourself well. And if you will commit yourself to that understanding and to the pursuit of leading yourself well, uh, the opportunities will be the overflow. It's my greatest conviction. And, and I think it's the thing that a lot of times we, we miss and then we end up burned out, frustrated. Um, get overlooked for a promotion, or you know something doesn't turn out the way we thought it would, and then we have to learn those lessons the hard way. 
and so I think, again, that self-leadership piece is core to leading both ourselves well and leading others for the long haul. Yeah. What I love about that is it's not um, some promise for a silver bullet. It's not, you know, maybe the sexiest leadership message because it's hard work totally. and it never ends. Yes. But it's crucial for leaders to be able to lead themselves well and learn what it takes for them personally to get healthy and lead how they're wired and um, called to lead. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, how can people follow along with what you're doing? Yeah, that's awesome. So I am on social media. I'm just Jenny Katrin, J-E-N-N-I-C-A-T-R-O-N. So pretty much every social media account, you can find me there. And um, our uh, the website for our organization is uh, getforesight.com. It's the word get, the number four, and the word site.com. And um, you can sign up for our email, you know, our weekly email that has articles and advice and suggestions and resources and tools for leadership. And so we would love for you to get connected and, and follow along. That'd be awesome. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. So people can link right to those things. Jenny, thank you so much for sharing your heart, your story, some of your vulnerabilities and all of that stuff to, to really help leaders get healthy. So thank you. Thank you for adding to these conversations. Well, thanks for creating the space for it. And thanks for having me a part of it, David. I'm really grateful for you guys and the work you're doing. Awesome. Well, get in touch with Jenny in those show notes. Follow along with what she's doing. Um, she is doing great things to pour into leaders to help them get healthy so that they can um, lead people well to the best of their ability. Man, what a rich conversation with Jenny. One of the reasons that I love talking to her is that she's kind of like a ministry kindred spirit when it comes to what we're trying to do on this podcast, what we're doing at Stay Fort Design. She cares deeply about the health of leaders and pouring into leaders so that they can be healthy and lead for the long haul. And one of the things that she talked about that I think is most important for leaders, most important for myself, is that idea of self-leadership. And it's not something that we love to talk about because it's hard, right? It's hard work. Um, to be able to lead yourself before you lead others. And when it comes to self-leadership, one of the things that she talked about was self-awareness. And if we're going to understand the clout killers in our own lives, um, things like fear and insecurity and um, comparison, we need to know ourselves. We need to know where we're struggling. We need to be honest with ourselves, the things that are dragging us down, that are eating our lunch, the things that um, are causing us to be ineffective as a leader. And so um, though that that is what stuck out to me most is that idea of self-leadership and self-awareness. How about you, Alan? What stuck out to you most? Man, such gold in that episode. And I was really struck as I spent some time with our team around Jenny and just this idea of clout killers. Uh, the comparison idea sticks out to me probably the most. I think our culture is ripe for comparison, whether it's social media, whether it's seeing somebody else's following, somebody else's influence. And just to say that's ultimately a distraction. I just like that she calls that out uh, and certainly to be able to dig deeper on that. And one of the things is we want to get practical with you. We want to do this every episode uh, is ask you to take some time. Don't just flip on to the next episode. And occasionally we'll bring you some questions as well. So a couple of application questions for you. What's one way you will grow in self-awareness in 2019? One way you'll grow in self-awareness in 2019. And what's one area of comparison you wrestle with? 
one area of comparison you wrestle with. Spend some time on those questions. And just a reminder, we love walking alongside of leaders in the coaching journey. And so I know that Jenny spends time with leaders and, and journeys with them as a coach. We have five coaches now on our Stay Forth team. We all have different focuses and, and different stories. And if you want to grow in self-awareness, coaching is one of the best ways to do that. We want to walk alongside of you in coaching. And guys, we are seeing amazing results out of people who are growing in their health and seeing more God-given clout or impact or influence, what we like to call genius. We love pulling that out of people that we're coaching. So you can find our resources, more information on coaching at stayforth.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. 